And now, Taking Care of Business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, episode 218. Our guest today is Reiner Long, author of the new book, Aspire, Seven Essential Emotions for Leading Positive Change No Matter Where You Are. Reiner is the founder of Boomerang Coach, an executive coaching firm specializing in leadership, career development, innovation, and transformational change. Reiner's mission is to mobilize and develop leaders to create a more sustainable and positive future for all. Good morning, Reiner. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Good morning, Craig and Chai. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited. We're excited too because there's so much content here we want to dive into. And while we were reading about your background and solid experiences you've had, and quite a book in itself, <laughs> but with the culmination of all of that, what brought you to the actual writing of a book? Well, thank you for that question. I had been, as you know, from my background, I have been both an entrepreneur and entrepreneur. So I started businesses and grew them, uh, scaled them uh, within a large corporation, Hewlett Packard, into multi-billion dollar business with a lot of different leadership roles. And then started my own company, uh, coaching executives, um, focused on leadership development and innovation and transformational change. And I was always intrigued by the idea is what are really the essential leadership competencies what are the behaviors that a leader needs to show in order to achieve their goals, to follow their aspirations, uh, lead successfully. And since I have gone through that myself as a leader in, in many different functions and settings globally as well, and now for nearly 15 years, helping leaders to do the same, I wanted really to boil it down. And so I wanted to write something that people can digest in a relatively easy way because they don't have like business owners like yours don't have a lot of time to read a lot, but they read some. And rather than learning, you know, 100 different leadership competences, I wanted to, to focus on the essential ones. Now, I have also background in uh, ontological coaching, which is looking more holistically at a human being, both uh, from a cognitive ability as well as from an emotional and from a somatic perspective. And the emotions was what always, I got the biggest transformation happening when I was focusing on helping leaders, people that I coach, including myself, being able to shift the emotion into the right emotional state helped to really change behavior in a sustainable way. And so all these different things came together and, and I obviously coached in that field, the leadership model in Aspire for many years before I actually wrote the book and people shared with me the transformation they had gone through. And I said, I want to make it accessible to more people. So that was really the gist of it. Uh, it's an impressive book and the detail and actionable items are fantastic. We appreciate your efforts. There's so many things in this book that I want to touch on that were inspirational and interesting. And one of the first ones I wanted to make sure I touched on was this element of servant leader. And I wanted you to discuss that a little bit and tell us a little bit of what perspective that's coming from. Yeah, as I have been observing leaders in the corporate setting, but also as entrepreneurs, I found uh, two different types. It's a little bit of oversimplification. The ones that are going into business and also into leadership, leading people and others, uh, because they want to serve. They want to help 
people, they want to help their communities, they want to help the world, and so on, at different scale. And then the others that are more doing it for themselves. And I'm not saying that is not okay, but what I found for myself, when I was leading and I was focusing too much on myself, I could not really lead successfully. I needed to be really committed to the well-being and serving the needs of the people that I was serving. So I was obviously in the IT industry with Hewlett-Packard, really having my own commitment and helping these IT professionals, the software we developed, and really understanding them and making that commitment, this is what it is about, to helping them and their clients, allowed me to lead at a different level. If that commitment doesn't exist, it becomes very hard all the other competencies we need to inspire people, to serve them, to build trust, all these things become very hard to achieve because if the people we lead or the customers we serve get a sense this is really about me, the person that serves me, <laughs> and not about the client or the employee, they lose trust. It's very hard to gain trust there. But I find it also very satisfying for myself and the people that I'm coaching, when they come up, you know, very often in a crisis and it's focused then in that moment on themselves and how do I survive in this moment? How do I, for example, let's say a leader has a team he's struggling with. At the same time, they might be struggling with their boss as well. They might be also struggling at home in their family because of the emotional state they are in and they're coming home at night. But when they shift then to what really matters. Why do I do this? You know, and the people that I serve and connected to a higher need, to a higher aspirational need, uh, things suddenly start to shift both emotionally and then also that drives then a different behavior, like a more servant leadership behavior. That's fascinating. One of the other elements was the alignment of stakeholders. And stakeholders has so many different definitions, and maybe there are different tiers as far as those are the, the category A, the most important ones, B and C, and these layers of stakeholders. How do you address the importance and the, the positive influence that you align with stakeholders? Yeah, this is a very good question. And this is a very, for leadership, a very important concept. So first of all, and your listeners might face that every day as they call their businesses and like so many different stakeholders and there is uh, so many different needs that come at any given time and there might be a crisis coming up where things even become tougher. What do I focus on this morning? How do I stay focused? And in any kind of leadership situation that I'm coaching is that if you cannot maybe change the whole world at once, you know, in your world. Right, All the people change their behavior, but you can pick the ones that are important to you to influence. Let's say your most important client as, as a business owner or your most important employee, your most important stakeholder, maybe investor. And that allows you to be more focused. But now linking it to the book itself, you can always link it back to behavior. So let's say I coach entrepreneurs and one of the challenges is always having enough funding, especially in the early stage of a business. And even if the business is promising and gets a lot of great feedback in the media and so on, still the entrepreneur needs to get the funding to sustain the cause of the business and hire people to manage them. And be very clear on who are the key stakeholders there, that the investor and finding the right investor that is aligned with the mission and the vision of the business and so purpose aligned as well. And really putting themselves into the shoes of that 
potential investor and therefore positively influencing their investment decision. So that's just an example. The same would apply for, let's say, critical employees that somebody has. How to to say, oh, this person is really strategic for my business or the hiring of such a person is strategic. So let me focus on that stakeholder and what the behavior I would like to see and how do I influence that behavior in a positive way, not to manipulate, but in a positive way. It's interesting, Reiner. I know that you work with so many entrepreneurs and business leaders and really what you're talking about with stakeholders and the way you're thinking about understanding their point of view and developing that sort of empathy is very similar with how we think about customers, right? So business owners are always focused on how do I get more customers? How do I put myself in my customer's shoes to better understand their struggles and their choices? And, you know, a stakeholder you can treat like any other customer with this approach. How have you put that into action with your clients? Yeah, this is a very important question. I think in my experience, this has been really transforming the way I relate to my customers. I both in in the corporate world as well as in the startup world now had experiences that really blew me away and <laughs> kind of saying, what is possible? I, I give you an example from one of my clients is I work with tribal leaders, indigenous tribes, and typically their leadership. And there was one, uh, that example is actually in the book, Chairman Hart from the Ute Mountain Tribe. When we first met several years ago, when I was hired by the tribe to facilitate a large retreat and then help also with the coaching the leadership and so on, they went to very deep crisis and that's why they started the work that I was doing with them to develop a new vision for the tribe and so on and but before we even knew each other when we met the first time and I always ask my clients it's saying like really I try to understand how best to work with them what are their needs what do I need to know that I don't know I ask that question what is the best way to serve you back to servant leadership to help you in the situation you are in and uh, he looked at me and obviously I'm, I'm a white male. And uh, he, he looked at me and said, many people that look like you, the consultant he meant, uh, have tried to help us, but they have failed. And it was in the first moment, a little bit shocking to me, but uh, it opened a conversation that was very intriguing to me. I said then, well, what is it then that would give advise me to do different than previous consultants have done? And and he said, I exactly, no, you need to walk in our moccasins, which is a metaphor for um, empathizing with us, no? being learn about what our needs are, you know, what our situation is. And I said, that's really very helpful. But how do I do this? No, How do I walk in your moccasins? He said, well, you hop on a plane <laughs> and fly down to our reservation. And then I help you to meet people. And I actually did exactly that. I met a lot of people at the reservation. I talked to a lot of his stakeholders, the people in the community that he was serving and the struggle they went through. So I learned about a high suicide rate, high unemployment rate. I learned a lot about the young kids go to white high schools, right? That they live in two different cultures and the conflict that creates and identity crisis that comes out of that. And then drug issues, they have high mortality rate, like, you know, average mortality being like people average age being 55, which was very shocking to me in terms of a lot of health issues and so on. And so without going too much more detail there, the point was that this invitation to walk in our magazines was saying, learn to empathize with us, get interested in us first. And then from there, you will be able to serve us better. 
you will know how to help us. And that transformed our relationship, but also transformed my understanding of the needs of the tribe. So when I was facilitating, when I was coaching, I really could relate and I could make the right decisions at the right moment. I could also be sensitive to certain issues, how I ask questions, how I talk to people, how I listen. So it, it totally informed my behavior by having that empathy. And over time, I have to say, because I didn't have a relationship with the tribe, it also shifted my emotionally me to deeper compassion, which is a commitment to serve the tribe. So I really have now served them for many years, or I think it started in early 2015. So we're talking about over seven years with repeated engagements that we had, and I've been there at the reservation many times. So that's an example, but this applies to the corporate world, to entrepreneurs, a startup that I coach or I'm an advisor on applies the same way, relating to the human being in that way and empathizing and understanding their needs. This is such a remarkable journey to me. And, you know, I have to go back to your background a little bit. So I know that you're with Hewlett Packard, right? HP for a number of years. Yeah, I was, uh, I was there for 24 years. And I started first in Germany. I was hired and asked to join the task force to start a software business. HP was a, was a hardware company. And there was a lot of uh, opposition against that within the company because uh, HP was very successful, had a great culture. People were afraid that this would fail, changing strategy in that way. And so there was a lot of opposition. So out of that task force, we developed strategies and new businesses. I was co-leading and leading startup business within the company that I helped to grow to several hundred millions. And overall, the business grew to $4 billion uh, from zero during the time I was there. But also I started with the mindset of more the, the business and the technology. But at the end, what I learned, it was really relating to the people, understanding the clients at a deeper level, going out into the world. I was meeting customers around the world, understanding them at a deeper level, not just the technical needs they had in their companies, but also treating them as human beings. So the example would be, I would meet with IT professionals, head of IT and so on. We discussed the technical issues and IBM was big, right? IBM was like an insurance for them, a career insurance. If I go with IBM and Craig, you might relate to that as well with your background. But if, if you go with IBM, that I can keep my job. I cannot go wrong. But now going with HP, especially with new technology, emotionally, what shift do I need when I offer our products or services uh, so that they have the same feeling? They feel that personally... I have a career in this and this career is the right path if I go with HP. And learning that, hearing that from people, this is about my career, this is about my livelihood, this is about sending my, my kids to college, uh, paying off my mortgage and all, understanding that and relating to those needs. When I have a conversation, informed basically the way I was communicating and dealing with people. I have also a little bit of background in, in a family business environment. My father had a cabinet maker business. I grew up on a farm and my, my mother's family side, mill businesses and so on. And so I brought that into the corporate world. Family business, you relate to people more, right, than in a corporate setting. And I took that to the corporate world as well. And that served me very well. And that brought me right back to the emotional side of managing and leading. Such a fascinating background and really training for 
what you ended up becoming in terms of your world now and and your interaction as a leadership mentor and coach for so many people in organizations of all sizes. I can't help thinking about here you are working with this Native American tribe and trying to help them sort through their challenges. And you asked this really great question about how can I help you better, right? As opposed to some of the folks that had failed them. And they say, you know, walk in our moccasins. But this is really the behavior you learned at HP when you were trying to yeah. get acquire new customers and, and really get a better understanding of those customers. And if you think about it, you know, most of these large especially these large manufacturing and software firms that have just become these massive organizations tend to be quite paternalistic. And that approach can sometimes be invasive within a culture, which is why it's so hard to change those cultures, right? And then, you know, of course, here in America, it's a very paternalistic society, right, where we love to tell people what to do. And we're a society full of experts, and we all think we know what's best. And it's so refreshing and interesting to hear your point of view saying, you know, this is really about understanding what other people need. And if you can unlock that, and if you understand the behaviors that accompany that style of leadership, you can really facilitate meaningful change. Absolutely. And you made a connection to the larger society in which we live. Creating change in society, you know, being it at a community level or a state level or a national level and so on, the same drivers of human behaviors apply. One of the things that I write in the book is what drives me really to mobilize and develop leaders is uh, we have huge challenges in the world that we are facing. Climate change, we have racial conflicts and inequality and social inequality and, and many other pandemics. But we are divided. So I grew up in a divided country, right? But this was physically divided, physical barrier by walls and fences and so on. But now I live here in the United States. And I live again in a, in a divided world. The only difference is we're divided by emotions. We're divided by resentments, by anger, uh, by distrust. And uh, in order to solve these big issues, we have to come together. We need to work together, even if we have a different value system, right? Even if we have different values that drive our behaviors and, and our emotions. And so what drives my work is really to change people's behavior, to work together, to collaborate. And no matter at which level, if it's at the entrepreneurial level, at a startup level, or if it's a mid-sized company or large organizations or the community level, like tribal communities or like aspiring politicians in the country that want to drive change, everyone that wants to lead positive change needs to learn those competencies, both on the behavioral side and then the emotions that drive those behaviors and learn these emotional competencies. I would say it's transformational. It is. And, you know, it, it's probably not intuitive for many small business owners, many of whom are males, certainly in the United States that have been brought up here in this environment. I'm speaking purely demographically, right? Business owner employers in the United States are still overwhelmingly males. They're still overwhelmingly Gen X and boomers, so older adults. And they were brought up in an even more paternalistic world with different ideas about what success looks like. And not just that, but different parenting styles. And part of that style doesn't lend itself to positive reward for displaying emotion, right? That can be considered a sign of weakness. And so I know that what you're talking about is much bigger than just displaying emotion, of course, for the sake of that. It's more about understanding that emotions drive behavior within ourselves and with others 
and how to embrace that language and that idea to be a more effective leader, these are things you don't learn in school. And these are things many of us have been taught to repress. So how do you help people unlock that and turn that into behavior change? Oh, that's an excellent question. I think about that every day <laughs> because it's uh, every time a new client of mine or a new leader that uh, asks me for coaching, I need to be very careful to not go too fast. But some people are already thinking in that direction and they say, I know this is important, but I don't know how to do it. I know I need to learn more to lead with emotions or use emotions in leading my team. But it's totally foreign and they might never have heard about it. So my first part of the answer is I need really to adjust my approach with every person and pick them up where they are and not make them feel bad and say, wow, you haven't learned this yet. You should learn that because the reality is, as you alluded to, and I've thought about that a long time for many years, saying, why have we not learned this earlier? Right. And the school system, as well as the corporate system, have rewarded certain behaviors. And you described some of them to tell people to not listen. In the corporate world for many decades, we rewarded the people that give the fastest answer. Right. So very little reflection. So the one that has the solution, even if the answer is not the right one, those that speak up more often and fastest and raise their hand and say, I have a solution to a problem, get rewarded more, get maybe promoted and so on. However, it's not always the best approach. So for example, listening first, you know, being interested in what the others have to say or empathizing with somebody, showing compassion or feeling compassion leads to the behaviors that we want to see to care. I care about what you're saying. I care about you as a customer. I care about your needs. I'm committed to serve you, right? That's what compassion is. And I'm really interested to understand before I jump too quickly to a solution. So listening more and listening in the right way, asking the right questions. It is starting, you know, coaching has been like a big transformation over the last 20 years because like more and more leaders get coaching and you learn these types of things. Now, to a large extent, and not just coaching schools focus on the behavioral side. And back to your question of the emotions, how do you approach that? People that are not familiar with emotions so much, I start with the behavioral side. So people can observe the behavior of your employee, let's say a team member, like I had one client, she's also in the book, I used a different name, Jennifer, in the book, she came to me and said, I like my team, they're demotivated, she called them lazy and so on. And But after talking and listening more, I found out that she tried the carrot and stick way of motivating people, right? So I punish you if you're not performing well, and I give you a bonus or I give you a good salary if you're performing well and you do what I say. Uh, but in this case, it fired back. It was not motivating really the people. They, they felt not seen. They felt not heard. They felt not listened to. And so I shifted her to a different approach and saying like, what is if you inspire them, right? So we talked about an inspiration as a feeling inspired as, as a behavior about it, but it's really an emotion that mobilizes people to act towards a goal or a vision or a, a certain target. And so taking people from the behavioral side to the emotional side is easier than jumping right into emotions. That's the approach that I take. Does it work with every single person? No, some people are not ready and they need more time or they listen, but I have a hard time to translate it into a different change in behavior. So some people take more time. I compare it with learning a language, right? So 
I have studied several languages during my life, but I don't speak them all. I speak only a couple fluently. But if I go now, let's say I studied French or Portuguese or Spanish, if I say I want to learn more now, I can go to a teacher and the teacher will assess me in saying, oh, you know already 2,000 words in that language. So I don't need to start at zero. I start at a different level. But if I learn, let's say, Russian, I've never studied Russian, I go to a Russian teacher, he needs to or she needs to take a totally different approach. And the same is here with emotions. The beauty of the Aspire leadership model is so, so overall, there's more than 250 emotions that drive our behavior and we can be in a mixture of emotions at any given time. And it's very hard to decide which is the emotion that drives most that is dominating, right? So it becomes like almost we go into a foreign country and we listen to the language and we don't understand anything, right? So that's the same with emotions if you have never been exposed to or learned in that domain. So with the Aspire Leadership Model, I take the people a step back and say, let's start with the seven most essential emotions for you to create change, to influence people's behavior, to lead your business, to lead your team, to create positive change or transformational change or innovate or create change in society or even create change in any of your one-on-one -on -one relationships with your spouse, with your friends, with your boss. And when you go back to those, then it becomes more manageable. So one step is really to take out the complexity of all these different emotions and focus on the most essential ones. And I like your concept about coming from a place of emotion, but really associating it with behavior, because that's a thing that we can really effectively do, right? We can observe it and understand it better. But man, is it hard to change. <laughs> what are the kinds of things you talk about? I mean, I know you identify seven essential motions for leading change. What are some of the fundamental behaviors? Can you give us an example of a kind of change that is like low-hanging fruit, like something we could do today that could make an impact just even on our next interaction? This is a great question. So like start with the one-on-one -on -one relationship. Let's say think about someone in your life that is very important to you, but you struggle with in your relationship right now. Their behavior frustrates you. And sometimes we can say, I give up that relationship, right? But let's say you don't have that luxury to be able to move away from that relationship. It's maybe it's a relative, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's your boss. It's not so easy to quit the job and from one day to the next. And now it's happening more often. So identify that person that you really struggle with. Maybe somebody on your team, right? Everybody points the finger to say, this, is, this person is, is difficult. And if this person only would leave the team, then our problem would be solved, which is obviously not the case in many times. So identify this person, number one, identify the behavior that frustrates you of this person. And now put yourself this back with empathy into that person's shoes and think about what holds that person back to change their behavior. Very often that's from a psychological you know, research perspective, it's like, our emotions are much stronger affecting our behavior than our cognitive. They're all interrelated. But the emotions that somebody feels, let's say if somebody feels resentment, deeply ingrained resentment that holds the person back to even think about the future, even to be optimistic and maybe take steps forward, think about what can I improve in my life. Resentment is an emotion that keeps somebody in the past. It's an, an emotion of victimhood. 
that I find very often actually in, in the corporate setting, it's resentment towards the boss, resentment towards another team member, because I have not been promoted, maybe a promotion I expected, or I have tried to say something in a meeting, but I was cut off or whatever, even if it was without intention. People live in that resentment, which is a, an emotion, it's a feeling associated with the story of victimhood. And then when the people live in that resentment, they cannot look forward. They cannot move to an emotion that allows them to move forward, such as optimism or ambition or even hope. You need to bring them first out of that. So again, if you have an employee that you struggle with their behavior, understand what keeps them changing their behavior. Let's say you want them to be more collaborative. You want them to take ownership or whatever it is. Maybe want them to be more positive in team meetings and so on. What could it be? Put yourself into the shoes of that person and what is the emotion that holds them back or the mix of emotions? If you know what the barrier is and you know what the new behavior is you want to achieve, you can then think about your own behavior. So I ask the people in the room, I say, now as the next step, think about how can you change your behavior to help this person overcome resentment, for example or any other emotional barrier that they might have. And so if it's, let's say, you are the manager and this is an employee and you feel that this employee is in resentment because of something you did in the past or somebody else, now you can engage in a conversation to overcome that resentment. Now, when I coach people moving somebody out of resentment and into more optimism, I move them first to acceptance because it's very often something that happened in the past that cannot be changed anymore, right? If somebody treated me not very nice, so I have resentment towards that person, but it happened already. So I need to accept it as something that happened, not that I have to like it. I can still say, no, I didn't like it, but dwelling on it does not change anything. So I'm going to accept it. And then from acceptance, a person can move to optimism. And now they can think about what do I want to change in my life or in my business or in my team or in my community. So that is an example of a shift that is breaking it down in steps, observing the behavior, what is the undesired behavior, what is the desired behavior that I want to see with this person, what is the barrier, and how can I help this person overcome that barrier, particularly focusing on the emotional barrier, and then taking action in that direction. Well, Reiner, thank you so much for your insight and this inspiration in leading positive change within organizations and from a different perspective, and it's really pleasurable. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Craig. I um, just want to say to your listener that no matter where you are, you can create change by learning these uh, behaviors and also learning these emotions that drive the behaviors. If you like to learn more about it, the book is available on Amazon. And no matter where you are in which country where Amazon delivers, it's on those domains. And it's under my name, Reiner Lomb and Aspire seven essential emotions for leading positive change, no matter where you are. If you want to get in contact with me or learn more about the coaching that I'm doing or the speaking or the leadership programs, you can go to my website, rhinolong.com. And uh, there you can contact me, but you can also find out more about the leadership that I'm focusing on. Our guest today has been Reiner Long, author of the new book, Aspire, Seven Essential Emotions for leading positive change no matter where you are. You can learn more about Reiner, as well as find links to his resources and book, all on our website at businessownersradio.com. 
Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.